a matter of weeks, it's gone from really, really nice and happy valley to, uh, you know, winter-ish conditions so far. And I think we're going to see more of that this weekend as Iowa comes to Penn State. We were at practice the other night, and this is Sean Fitz featuring Tyler Donahue on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We were at practice the other night. It felt like it dropped about 20 degrees. So that should be, if my calculations are correct, somewhere around the third to fourth quarter. So it's going to be a cold one on Saturday. Tyler, welcome to the podcast as always. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's fall. I get it. It's State College. I get it. Man, this is a this is a quick turn. James Franklin stressed the important of wearing, importance of wearing layers when he got to the media scrum uh, last night, and, and I would agree with him. I think it's a layer kind of Saturday, folks, who are heading to Beaver Stadium, and it's just when the weather turns like this, and and you're you know obviously invested in, in the football season and covering it every day. It just you get that sense that the games just matter a little bit more. You're starting to get down the stretch. It feels like high school playoff football weather. It feels like when things get determined in college football and, and teams separate themselves in the NFL. And here we are, perfect timing for that kind of crossover as Penn State, you know, for better or for worse, Sean, they're going to be defined this season by what happens over these next three weeks. You broke out the football weather cliche. You know what's great? Football weather. 70 and sunny. That's fantastic football weather. But alas, It's all good football weather if you love football, I guess. But alas, uh, Penn State 5-2, and two, um, really at a turning point in their season. Not that these last couple of games haven't been, but Iowa coming to town, looking pretty decent, 6-1, and one, a shot at the Big Ten West, um, they are, the, the lone blemish on their record, uh, to Wisconsin at home. Played a lot of games at home, a couple of Big Ten wins on the road against Minnesota, who's not any good. Indiana, who we saw last week, was, you know, uh, it could be better than I think people think, but also not a good team. So really not sure what you're getting with Iowa, aside from the fact that, you know, it's a good defense. It's always going to be a very good defense. You're going to have a running game, which this team, maybe not so much, but this team a little bit different. And then Nate Stanley is going to go out there. He's going to throw it around a little bit. Yeah, they've shown that they really do want to be able to lean on Stanley, and and he's responded for the most part. I think the one thing about him is he, he's still susceptible to throwing an interception when, when he doesn't need to throw that particular pass. I think that's something that Trace McSorley, if you look at these two quarterbacks, who's more likely uh, to, you know, to throw that errant kind of pass, I, I would certainly side with Stanley. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, when you've got tight ends like he has, uh, a really good slot receiver, the offensive line's blocking well, they got to feel good about the way they're coming into this game. And, you know, the one loss they have, Sean, this season against Wisconsin, Penn State will see them the next time at home in a couple weeks. Uh, they were up heading into the fourth quarter. You know, that's their one blemish. It's, it's why they don't control their own destiny right now and trying to get to Indianapolis in the Big Ten championship game. But the Big Ten West is pretty nuts. There's four teams with one loss in the conference. So uh, there's a lot of folks that, in that in that conference, I'm sure, that feel they can get to Indianapolis. The, the path for Iowa – is a lot more clear than it than it would be for Penn State coming out of the East. Uh, that's for sure. Curious to see how they fare on the road. Of course, I mentioned earlier uh, Minnesota. I think they gave up 31 points against the Gophers, and that's that's not a very good team right there. Um, Indiana. They looked a little bit different. Just dominated the the Hoosiers. I, I mean, it's it's funny. And we said the same thing about Michigan State. Was you're halfway into the season, more than halfway into the season actually, and you're really not sure what's going to show up. They've got a 13 to three win over Iowa State, which of course we know Iowa State can beat anybody anywhere, but they can also lose to anybody anywhere, and that's a, a you know a fierce rivalry game right there the Wisconsin game is there but other than that don't know a ton about them it's it's not really a team that's that's going to run you into the ground I I wrote earlier today in my prediction that they wore down Minnesota but 
honestly, the, the, the rushing game wasn't all that impressive. Uh, Minnesota did a good job of, you know, not much. I mean, for 48 points, but Minnesota did a good job of keeping the running, the rushing game in check. But it's just, there's, there's so hard to pin down Iowa right now. You know, it's a Kirk Ferentz team. We talked about it last year. You're always going to get your father's Iowa team, your grandfather's Iowa team, which is exactly what you expect out of them. But at the same time, I mean, is this Iowa team good? I mean, that's the, that's, that's the big question. We know Penn State has uh, quite a few shortcomings, and we've talked about them every week. But Iowa, I think that 6-1 and one record you know, might be a little bit misleading. I'm not saying they're not a good team. They can certainly run the table and, and, and end up uh, in the Big Ten championship game. And, and, you know, as we saw last year against Ohio State, can beat anybody. But really not sure what you're going to get from this team coming to Beaver Stadium this weekend. And I think that's why Penn State is, is I think, 5.0 uh, – favorites um, against the Hawkeyes this weekend. I think you can draw a lot of parallels between these two programs in this particular season um, because, you know, let's face it, uh, both of these teams in the games they lost, they were ahead in the fourth quarter. Uh, there's probably a lot of thought in the locker room among the coaching staff that they should have closed out those games. They should be unbeaten right now. They should be in control of their own destiny. And I think we're going to learn a lot about both these squads in terms of what they're all about. Now, if it's down to the wire, and I think a lot of us expect that, and these teams are evenly matched, maybe we don't learn as much. If one team kind of pounds the other, then I think that exposes one other and kind of vaults the other one. Uh, but you know, they're kind of appropriately you know, placed next to each other in the, in the AP poll rankings. Uh, Penn State at 17, Iowa at 18. Same goes for Wisconsin a couple weeks at number 20. So these are the kind of separating games that show – you know, the, not just the trajectory of the program long term, but I think in, in this particular vacuum, late October, who's ready to, to take a step forward and finish their season looking strong, go chase a big time bowl, go try to be in the mix for a Big Ten championship. So all that at stake. And, and yes, you mentioned Iowa not being able to, to run the ball as well. Uh, you know, I think they've got their shortcomings. Penn State has their shortcomings. I don't think either of these are perfect teams and they're going to solve all these issues. Uh, but whoever can kind of put a Band-Aid on those issues the best can probably come away Saturday with, with a meaningful victory. I think you nailed it. Twenty-three-nothing uh, victory over Maryland last weekend for Iowa at Iowa. We mentioned they, they've played five home games and two away games, so uh, a little bit different than Penn State. I mean, the bigger teams in the Big Ten are obviously going to play a lot more home games. But looking across the board, there's some matchups that favor Iowa, and I know I think this one, the one that screams to me as this one can really, really hurt Penn State is is those tight ends. Iowa's tight ends are certainly, um, you know, a, a threat from anywhere. You know. Iowa always has good tight ends, but at the same time, um, you know, Penn State's got to cover them. And I think that falls on a couple of people. And and it's guys that you're probably not counting on leaning on. Uh, Koa Farmer has not been very good the last couple of weeks. So we're going to see, I think we'll see a little bit more of Micah Parsons. But, you know, that's not his traditional role. He's still learning to play that linebacker spot. So coverage could be a question mark. Uh, and Jonathan Sutherland, who's going to be in there for Garrett Taylor. Taylor, of course, serving a first-half suspension. We saw on Wednesday night at practice Sutherland working with the first team. Not that that's any surprise or anything like that. But a lot of pressure, I think, on on those two spots, uh, the, the the will linebacker, especially if you're going to line up with two tight ends, the will linebacker, uh, Cam Brown, of course, at the Sam, and then Jonathan Sutherland playing safety. Yeah, I think Sutherland's huge here, and and look, he's an extremely aggressive player. You know, following him in high school, if, for those flashes we've seen him on the field for Penn State, he's been productive. He's a guy who who has that mentality to get after it, and, and so does Micah Parsons. But the issue here is 
these tight ends are nuanced. I mean, these are guys who know to work their way down the field. They know how to get open, work themselves open. They're, ex- they're excellent athletes. You're going to need more than athleticism and toughness with these guys. You need those nuances. And dropping back in coverage, that's certainly a major test for Micah Parsons, something that he wasn't equipped with, you know, just naturally from his high school days. And, and Sutherland, this is, a, you know, an opportunity for him to show what he can do. Uh, you know, I'll be curious to see when Garrett Taylor gets back in the mix uh, in the second half, if Sutherland's playing well. Do they still try to incorporate both of these guys? How do they do that? Um, you know, I think this matchup, though, you know, these these Iowa tight ends two weeks ago, they both went over 100 yards. Uh, they can do that on the same game. There's that kind of a distribution. Um, and we've heard it all week from the players, from the coaching staff, a ton of respect uh, you know, toward those two guys. I think uh, if you look at the NFL draft boards, typically – uh, Noah Fan is 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 there at you know the top ten draft pick as a tight end prospect, the number one guy on the board at that position, and he's actually got I think one less reception than his counterpart. So these guys are getting it done. And James Franklin said a, said that he actually probably has to look back a few years. Last time he saw a tandem this good at that at that tight end spot, probably a Stanford team. And remember, there was a while there where Stanford was producing uh, you know like a tight end NFL factory. Yeah, absolutely. I think Wisconsin a couple of years ago had a one-two punch that was that was similar to this, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be a struggle. I mean, it's going to be a challenge. We'll say that, and uh, got to have support from a couple of different areas. And beyond that, Iowa will try to run the football. They haven't been completely successful with it this year, although you know they've they've had some big totals in games. But three backs share carry the load, and I think a theme if we're going to talk about both sides of the ball, a theme that can be very big on Saturday is the running backs in the passing game. You look at the Iowa's backs and they've all got uh, you know I guess uh, call them a handful of catches each Miles Sanders uh, started getting into that a little bit more last week Um, so I think that that can be certainly when you're talking about matchups when you're breaking it down which one could break away because the receivers on both sides have have struggled at times the tight ends are what they are and uh, the running backs could be the difference yeah and and Miles Sanders I think the fact that we saw him being so active uh, as a pass catcher against Indiana to me, that's not going to be an outlier. That's going to be something they, that we continue to see them try to incorporate moving forward. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. This guy's producing at a very high level. Uh, he's got more rushing yards through this point in the season than Saquon Barkley had last year. Uh, he showed you know, flashes of what he can do. He's never going to be the receiver that Saquon Barkley is. I don't think running backs across the globe uh, can match a lot of what that guy does. But Sanders has gone over. 100 total yards in six or seven games now. And it's good. Not a lot of tread on the tires. Only two out of these four Big Ten matchups as he had to go 20-plus touches in a single game. And these have been close games. So he hasn't been taxed a lot. And this is the kind of situation where if the wind's howling again, if, if, if the rain's coming down, and you already have some concerns about how your passing game uh, is, is producing and, and how it's executing, you got to be able to lean on Miles Sanders. However, not sure if you want to lean on him as much as they have been because, you know, do you want to get some options on the football field? So is that Journey Brown, Ricky Slade? We'll, we'll see. But other running backs to this point in the last three games have combined for two touches. Miles Sanders is approaching 60, so he has dominated the snaps out of that backfield. Very much warranted, but I think it's important to get other options on the field to make them accountable on defense. 
and we're going to avoid one of the worst possible talking points when you're talking college football is who does the weather impact more. <laughs> What's going to impact this game a little bit more is pressure, I think. Uh, Nate Stanley, not a tremendous threat to run. I think he's got 17 rushing yards on the season or something like that. Penn State got to the quarterback last week at Indiana. Shaka Tony, four sacks. Yeder Gross Matos was good. Uh, Sharif Miller has, has has totaled some sacks in the past. and But Iowa doesn't give up many. So it's going to be sort of a give and take. And we're talking matchups that favor Iowa. This one may tilt in Penn State's favor if they can get that aggressive. Uh, if they can get that aggressive look from Tony again, if you can get a little bit more out of Miller, and I, I mean, you've, you've got an opportunity to, to get to Stanley and, and and end some drives, which I think is really what Penn State has has struggled to do in the last couple of weeks. Is just finish some drives. They did it at the very end against Indiana, or I guess not. Yeah, the very end against Indiana, but at times, I mean, that's been a struggle to uh, to get that defense off the field. Yeah, and and I mean, boy, oh boy, I mean, Sean Spencer, Brent Pry, James Franklin, you know, they've got to be hoping that this was a foundational kind of performance that we saw against Indiana late stages there, and a sign of things to come. Because you know, we spoke a lot in, in August and in late July about the possibility of defensive end being one of the more impressive and, and deep positions on this team. Then you had a retirement, you had an injury, uh, you had things to working themselves out. But I think here you are in, in a key p- stretch of your season. It kind of is shaping up like that, where you've got a, a, a pretty reliable two deep, you think, with Shane Simmons back on the field now. Shaka Tony, I mean, if he can even you know keep some of that in a bottle and, and, and sprinkle it out over the course of a game, uh, they'll be okay. I, I mean, but what he did and, and, and being that dominant and showing that speed off the edge, that was special. And I think Etor Gross Matos is making a case for all conference consideration at this point, the way he's been playing overall against the run, being able to get up the quarterback. You talked about Iowa. They really are doing well protecting their quarterback. And that's important because Nate Stanley is not a guy who's going to run. He might buy himself a little bit of time, but he's not going to go and, and pick up chunks of yardage. So he's often going to get buried if he gets hit there. Um, I was giving up six sacks through seven games. Uh, everyone else in the Big Ten to this point has given up at least 12. So that's half of everyone else. And then Penn State, though, this might surprise some people, Sean. They are actually leading all Big Ten programs in sacks per game. They're at 3.6 sacks per game. Inflated a little bit there at the end against Indiana, but they all count. And so that is an interesting matchup. And because of that depth and the ability to rotate different players in while the tackles of Iowa start to get worn down into the fourth quarter, I think that can make an impact late in the game. I don't know if we're going to say it's inflated because those were crunch time sacks. No, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say inflated, but I'm saying it, it certainly got spiked by the, by game six performance. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Just giving you a hard time. But uh, yeah. no, absolutely. And I think uh, I, I think Simmons could be a guy to watch here this week. We talk about those other three. Simmons hasn't quite broken through yet, but you can see him get his feet under him a little bit. And I think a lot of this uh, defensive end talk is going to is going to spur some more defensive tackle talk. I know we've talked about it endlessly on the podcast uh, in the last couple of months, really. But you're going to get a lot of snaps from Kevin Givens and Robert Windsor. But you've got to get some quality snaps from Shelton and Mustafer and maybe CJ. Jay Thorpe and and really just kind of turn over those guys so they can stay fresh into the fourth quarter. I think this is going to be a uh, you know n- not to not to lean on the cliches too heavily, but a grinded out type game. It's an Iowa game; it always is. So um, it's uh, it, it's one of those things where you got to keep those guys fresh and get some good snaps. Mustafer forced a fumble last week. Um, it, it, you know, I, I I know that that's a position that they are struggling at right now. Typically, you'd probably see Kevin Givens, you know, slide out and play the five tech or or play a little 
little bit defensive end uh, against this type of attack, but they just don't have the numbers to do that. I don't really think we see too much of that this week. But uh, yeah, that's a big time matchup for Penn State, those DNs, because I think they can get to I think they can get to Stanley. It's just a matter of finishing there. And I think it is important to note you're talking about being able to rotate like Sean Spencer would prefer to do and, and get these guys fresh and basically having those second quarter legs in the fourth quarter. Um, Iowa keeps a nice change of pace in their backfield with these running backs. You know, they, unlike what we see with Penn State, where it's been, you know, extremely centric on Miles Sanders out of the backfield, um, you know, you've got a, a slew of guys. Makai Sargent, last couple weeks, uh, 10 carries in, in both of those games. Um, you've got Ivory Kelly Martin. Uh, he's been a factor. He's gone over 20 attempts in a couple games here. And then their leading rusher, uh, uh, Torn Young, um, you know, he's somebody that, has really kind of hit a wall, it seems, in Big Ten play. Torn Young got off to a kind of a nice start. Um, but in Big Ten play, I don't think he's gone over 30 yards more than once, uh, and that was against Indiana. But overall, again, all three of those guys have shown that they're, they can handle double-digit carries. Um, so you're going to need to be able to, to endure that pounding as an interior defensive line because I do anticipate – uh, I was going to try to see what they can do um, because they don't want to put Nate Stanley in a situation where he's got to drop back, you know, 40 plus times against this pass rush. Um, and he's a guy, again, he's just not going to be able to escape the pressure. Like even like a guy like Brian Lewerke uh, is able to do with Michigan State. On the other side of the ball, Iowa, you know, very disciplined. I think the top scoring defense in the Big Ten giving up something like 14.6 points a game. Uh, that's going to be something, you know, that that's going to be a challenge for Penn State. Uh, you know, don't want to lean back on the weather, but Penn State's receivers have struggled at times. They talked about rotating more guys in there. We'll talk about that in a bit, what we saw at practice on Wednesday night. But I look across the board. I'm, I got the game-by-game the game stats in front of me. Uh, this is a defense that can, can be run on. Maryland ran for 224 last week indiana ran for 159 northern iowa ran for 207 northern illinois for 209 uh, but at the same time i'm looking at these stats and i and i looked over this a little bit earlier today and there's not one thing that jumps out to you there's there's they're fairly balanced in terms of how much rushing uh, yardage they give up how many uh passing yardage they give up but this is a defense when you talk about the 14.6 this is a defense that closes very well uh sort of uh tightens up in the red zone and doesn't allow a ton of points so um just a, a, you're going to need a balance, some sort of balanced attack. You're, you're going to need to take a couple of deep shots, and I know the, the conditions may not be favorable for that. And we saw Penn State try and do that a little bit last week, but they, they they've beaten Iowa before. They they won four straight against uh, excuse me against Iowa. They've beaten them by taking some shots in the past, and I think they're going to have to get something out of those receivers once again this week. I mean, look, when you've allowed 13 touchdowns in seven games, you're playing good defense, and and you know I will say the one thing that stands out about this Iowa team, and I'll get to it deficiencies potentially in a second but you got to tip your cap to what they're doing up front I mean you and I are both have our recruiting caps on 23 hours of the day um, and you remember how huge of a deal it was for them to get AJ Epinesa to stay home um, you know and and he was someone that everybody in the country wanted uh, I was able to keep him on home turf and and he's been you know the real deal for them six sacks this season um, but I will say at linebacker they've had a lot of shuffling there's been injuries there um, you you kind of wonder who's going to be back in the fold. Are they going to be a little bit of a scrambled situation there? Um, and they're also without two of their cornerbacks. So there is just some, some susceptible um, you know, aspects of, of their back seven, I think. And, and that's where, again, uh, you're going to need to see um, you know, the passing game. I think the intermediate, seven to ten yard range, I think we've mentioned this in a few of these matchups, that is particularly key to me. I think that's a soft spot in this Iowa defense. And, and if Penn, can, Penn State can exploit that, 
Uh, that'll be open up a lot of things for Miles Sanders. And I also think Miles Sanders is someone who they could use to exploit that kind of area. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. I think Sanders can be huge in that aspect. And and beyond that, Pat Fryermuth, we talked about Iowa's tight ends and how good they are. I think Penn State's tight ends can have a similar attack. We saw a little bit Wednesday at, at practice that they were trying to get the ball to those guys. Fryermuth's been really good. Bowers has gotten them some quality snaps. And and we saw a little bit more of John Holland on Wednesday night as well. So um, uh, in addition to uh, Epinesa, who I'm going to mess his name up six times on this one, <laughs> Anthony Nelson had three sacks against Minnesota. Um, they, they can get to the quarterback, certainly. It's going to be a challenge for this offensive line. Uh, you're still not sure what they're going to trot out there at right tackle. Chaz Wright and Will Fry still splitting reps last week. And uh, it's it's certainly probably going to be you know just another big challenge. You don't want to say the biggest challenge to date because you think two weeks ago and then uh, four weeks ago. But uh, it's definitely a big challenge for this Penn State offensive line, especially right uh, the right side of it. I mean, at this point, it's not even a singular challenge. It's just buckle up. These next three weeks, you better be ready to go and you be ready to be be ready to take some punches and deliver them back in the trenches because it's not going to get any easier moving forward. Ohio State was obviously an excellent uh, defensive front. Uh, and, if, and with Penn State, I mean, you mentioned Fryermuth. Bowers is playing pretty well. I think if you're a fan of, of solid uh, you know, play at the tight end position, this is a great game to watch because you've got a lot of talent on both sides of the field. And, you know, another week goes by where we hear all these great things about Pat Fryermuth. Now, he, he's done everything that's been asked of him on the football field, checked off every box. Another touchdown uh, from Tommy Stevens. The last game, he's got three touchdowns and four Big Ten games. And by the way, uh, we're recording this on Thursday. Pat Fryermuth, happy 20th birthday. Uh, no longer a teenager as a freshman. Shows you again he's a little bit advanced from a maturity standpoint because uh, he's a bit older. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what he has in store for his uh, first football game of his 20s. The old 20-year-old freshman. He gets him every time. Anyway, uh, moving, moving past that, I think Penn State's, uh, once again, Sanders, a big, a big deal in this situation as a receiver. But Penn State can run. Uh, I think Trace McSorley can, can run. And you just got to keep those guys off balance. I mean, you want, uh, you want Epineza and, and Nelson to get up the field and go back in those lanes. I, th- I thought that was something that McSorley did well last week. And uh, whenever he does that, he's got to be a little bit more accurate down the field. Um, and, you know, he knows that. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but uh, and then we go we go back to the wideouts. Um, that it's been a point of contention all year. We've talked about it all season long. Juwan Johnson didn't play in the second half last week. Obviously, he's got some good memories against Iowa, but you know that's a long that seems like a long, long time ago. So. Penn State's receivers, I think you're going to see some different uh, uh, different rotations in there. We saw some different rotations. We saw Cam S- Sullivan-Brown getting in there. We saw a little bit of Jahan Dotson getting in there, and we saw sort of some mix and match. You, you put Jahan Dotson beside Juwan Johnson, and it's, it's hilarious to look at, but it's an interesting combination uh, when, you, when you throw that out there. Yep, and you know this is obviously folks who have listened to the podcast know it's something that that I've dug into a lot, and it's something that we've bounced around this conversation. And you know the two opportunities to speak with with James Franklin this week, the Tuesday press conference, the Wednesday uh, post practice session. Uh, both times I, I asked about that receiver spot, and you know uh, specifically about that Z receiver position, which is the Brandon Polk and, and, and DeAndre Tompkins spot that's occupied by those two veterans as co starters. And you know we mentioned this I think earlier in the week, but that spot you're, you're getting less than 20 combined receiving yards a poor, per Big Ten game out of those two guys. And neither of them have scored in the Big Ten. You're actually getting less than a combined two receptions from them in each of these games. So it's just not sustainable.
incredible. I know these guys are outstanding teammates, you know, exceptional locker room guys. We've heard the best, and I believe everything that we've heard. Uh, but at some point, um, the sample size becomes too large where either there is something gravely wrong with the way you're attacking opponents and, and, and that position is being completely uh, essentially wiped out of your system or you know it's a personnel situation and you got to try something new. And, and that's where I wonder if, if a guy like Justin Shorter – who we haven't mentioned as much lately as we did early in the season because you know, Franklin has repeatedly gone to, to the fact that he's recovering from being dinged up coming out of preseason camp. But seemed like a little bit of a turning point, Sean. Um, something that stood out to me after the Wednesday practice, uh, wrote about it online 24-7, was Franklin said he felt like Justin Shorter was really – uh, you know, coming, you know, coming into his own essentially. He was really emerging out of that injury situation, uh, and 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 really coming into a situation where they may be able to count on him. And look, this is the guy is the top ranked offensive recruit Penn State has signed since 2005. Wide receiver is a clear position of need right now in terms of needing to produce more, execute more. That seems like a great matchup, but again. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what the coaching staff determines. I know a lot of people are, are curious about the whole redshirt situation. Uh, to me, you know, you got a lot to balance. You might see a lot of Jahan Dotson, too. I think Cam Sullivan Brown's the guy on the rise. But I'm going to keep a lot of focus on Justin Shorter uh, based on what James Franklin said because it does sound like there has been a, a, a kind of a corner turned in his development. Yeah, that, that injury in camp really just derailed his entire season. But after practice, he was he was doing some sprints. He looked better running routes and things than, than we've seen him all year, and that's certainly a, a positive development. He hurt that leg in camp and really just uh, was not the same after that. So we'll see if he breaks through there. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of a juggling act. You know, he's played in one game so far, so he's got three left. If you do want to preserve that red shirt, not really sure that that's, you know, the, the necessary path of action here, but, uh, or, or what the staff is, is leaning to. But uh, yeah, if you can get something out of him and in, in the Z spot, if you can get something out of anyone in the Z spot, I think you got to try it right now. Moving on, uh, be, recruiting has really slowed down and it's not a Penn State has lost two games in the last couple of weeks and so everybody is no longer interested in Penn State it's the time of year it it, it happens Uh, very few commitments especially you know if you look back over Penn State's last couple of classes very few commitments this time of year and and no no different this year I mean when we're talking about the biggest story of recruiting this week we're talking about a happy birthday video which was was awesome by the way from James Franklin and his staff to uh, Tyrion Davis uh, down the LSU commit down in uh, Baton Rouge, they're probably not going to get him. I mean, let's not uh, let's not mince words. I mean, he's been committed to LSU for a long time. Uh, came up for the official visit, had a good time, but at the end of the day, been committed to LSU. He's from Baton Rouge. He's teammates teammates with Cardell Thomas, who's been committed since. Uh, July of 2016, I think it is. Um, so uh, <laughs> I don't think they're getting him. But you're still looking to pair running back with him. Aaron Young's off the board. We talked about that last episode. That's not really a surprise. You're looking at Mark Anthony Richards, who's coming in this weekend for an official visit. Florida kid coming up for mid-40s uh, in rain and snow. Going to be fantastic, I'm sure. But he's going to come up for an official visit. He's got tremendous, uh, you know, a tremendous relationship with Jaywan Sider. And uh, really, you file that one under anything can happen. Noah Kane's going to come back for an official visit against Wisconsin and that's going to be I think probably the real interesting one especially if if Davis is solid to LSU because LSU is going after Kane Texas is going after Kane Ohio State's ramping it up on Kane a little bit as well but Penn State's still uh still looking for that running back and while the happy birthday video is great and uh you know pretty cool and creative and everything like that and Kenny Sanders did a, a great acting job it's uh it's that one's probably not going to happen 
Yeah, Kenny Sanders, what star of the show on that one? But I, I'm say I'm thinking to myself watching that, and I love those old sport. This is Sports Center commercials. They were some of my favorites growing up. But I'm sitting there. I'm like, there's a lot of recruits who are going to expect, you know, this is Penn State videos on their birthdays now. So you know, you raise that bar and you set a new standard, and it'll be, it, you know, I got. I'm looking forward to the encore. I can say that much. And with Tyrion Davis, I did see at his All American jersey presentation uh, with the U.S. Army Bowl a couple days ago. You know reconfirmed to reporters said that LSU has nothing to worry about but who knows you know he certainly felt the love on that one he made that clear on social media and and you know six foot one 230 pound uh running back who's, who's gone over 1500 yards already this season it's interesting though you mentioned Noah Kane at this stage I think there's probably more consensus that Noah Kane and Davis end up together at LSU than singularly one of them ends up at Penn State, which is an interesting dynamic there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, Kane is a guy is an, in an interesting situation where he's a marquee running back. He shares carries with Trey Sanders at IMG Academy. And, you know, he's from Louisiana, played in Texas, moved. So he's used to being in different situations. LSU has a running back commit. Uh, Ohio State has a running back commit. Uh, Penn State has Devin Ford, of course. So I don't think that that's a, a – oh, and Texas has Darian Brown as well. I don't think that's a situation that's going to deter him from being a second running back in a class. And if he comes, I mean, he's going to be a, a 1A, 1B situation wherever he ends up. He's a tremendous prospect. But, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a situation where you're trying to swing for the fences there. Um, you've got some spots open at, at other spots. And, by the way, this brings up the worst possible response to Penn State recruiting right now, which is seeing anything written about Penn State recruiting and saying, hey, oh, I wish they would do that for defense tackles or we need to get more defensive tackles that's absurdly awful just a terrible response because they are trying to get defensive tackles we talked about it last week jared harrison hunt devon ellies uh, a couple other guys on that board um w- when you take the time to make a video like they made for for davis that takes roughly five minutes of the actual staff time the rest is taken to the to the recruiting guys it, <laughs> yeah. you know this as well as anybody i mean yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it, it's so funny to see the reactions here because it's really not all that time consuming and and really, a lot of venom. Wait, wait, wait. Sean, I'm guessing you got a bunch of those. Well, they should really be game planning instead of spending all this time making movies. That was the first response on our message board, and I get it. There's there's frustration everywhere, but man, uh, these are two very different things and two very big uh, parts of a coach's job. When you're taking five minutes to put a jersey on, to sit in your meeting room, which you're probably already in already, to say one line. I mean, come on, where, where, where are we at here, guys? Yeah, no, it's a, a trust me, uh, Franklin's not there. I, I would assume, you know, making sure the, uh, the the water jugs are in the right place in the background and everything's in place. It, it's something that should be pretty easy for the staff. And, and they have a huge, huge support system that, that handles those kind of things and, and recruiting and all that. But, you know, we mentioned before that, that was a cool thing. And Penn State's really tried to be on the cutting edge with, with a lot of this. And it's become an arms race in recruiting and trying to make these impressions. And going back to your point, though, yes, I, I don't know if it's multiple people, but it continuously – I'll write about the wide receivers. I'll write about Trace McSorley, and I'll get these responses. Well, man, you know, if only we had, if we only chose to recruit defensive tackles, and of course I'm thinking, well, you know, P.J. Mustafer was a top five prospect at that position in the last class, and he happened to be on the football field forcing a fumble against Indiana. So, that, you know, let's let's wait for it. Let's see him build that up. But it's always funny, and, and you know, I, I think, you know, we'll find a new response that 
we'll we'll both circle together i'm sure within the next few weeks as as things evolve yeah keep your dms open that that will definitely happen but i mean yeah we talked about that a couple weeks ago there's holes in the 2016 class the 2017 class at receiver there's holes there um, when they struggled to get a defensive tackle they struggled to get linebackers and you're seeing that show up now so getting a 2019 defensive tackle really isn't going to change the prospects for for next year unless it's a super elite kid and we know those super elite kids are not only hard to find but hard to uh, hard to get and play as freshmen. Penn State got one in, in PJ Mustafer, and he's a, a second stringer right now. So um, crazy little thing. It seemed like you have a point to make in this situation as well. I wanted to just get back to the running back conversation because I think it's kind of fascinating because of what you already have uh, on campus right now and what you think you will have on campus next year at running back. Um, you know, let's face it, you know, Miles Sanders, the running backs, we'll see. You, you can never blame a guy if he takes advantage at the running back position of all positions. Uh, but you still have Ricky Slade, Journey Brown. Both of those guys look like they could be special talents. You know, we'll see when they get more opportunities. But beyond that, look, you're losing Jonathan Thomas. Mark Allen's out of the equation. So there is room for a freshman to come in here next year and really seize opportunities right away, you know, much like Ricky Slade has tried to do. Uh, whether it's Mark Anthony Richards or Noah Kane or Davis, I think all of those guys, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think you need a, a power back. I, th- I think you want to get a guy who can really be a power back. I know, And I know that's a very broad term, but I look at some of these guys and Noah Kane's, you know, what, pushing 215, 220. Uh, Davis is another big guy. He's around 230 pounds. I think even Mark Anthony Richards is, is over six foot and around the 200 pound range. So I think it's important because to me, Devin Ford, again, fits that all-purpose back. Uh, he's a guy who can maybe be a kick returner. He can be a threat in the receiving game. I thought a lot of the same things about Ricky Slade, and I think you want to get another guy who can be that hammer. And Miles Sanders has shown he can be that guy. So you want to make sure um, there's always someone who can be uh, a lean-on power situation back. And to me, I think that's something that they that the category that they need to bring on board in that 2019 running back spot. Yeah, and we'll see what C.J. Holmes brings to the table as well. He's playing scout team that's right, right now. He's absolutely right. He's, he's sitting out right now for uh, the transfer rules, but be interesting to see if he can if he can break into that because if he can do that, I think it, it it takes a little bit of pressure off some of those other guys. Freshman white or excuse me, freshman running backs. It's a spot where you can come in and play right away and make an impact. Um, whereas you know, offensive line or or you know maybe even receiver might take a little bit more of an adjustment um but yeah it's going to be uh it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out penn state obviously would love to get another one they'd love to get an elite one i don't think they're just gonna you know scrap up and take a guy at the at the end of the cycle just to make it happen but uh we'll see we'll see uh visitors this weekend big news uh julian fleming not on the list this weekend gonna be four for five batting 800 um which you know with the with the weather i'm not gonna really blame him or anything like that uh anthony mark anthony richards coming up for an official visit theo johnson a really interesting 2020 tight end from canada will be down uh he's a guy that they offered the same day that they offered brenton strange and when they went to when they had him work out at camp right beside strange very comparable uh about six five six five and a half can run well caught the ball well um so that's a an opportunity to get him back on campus that same camp they had uh, grant Touton from uh, michigan who they just offered last week as well so um, a couple of big guys that they've seen in person they've seen in camp now they've seen some junior film and uh, they offered Touton. beyond that um, really interested to watch greg hudgens jr he was a guy that was up for the white out camp st john's college um 
2020 kid Penn State didn't offer at the whiteout camp. I'm curious to see if uh, if his uh, tape has come far enough for them to to pull the trigger. And then uh, Wyatt, my, uh, excuse me, Wyatt Milliam from uh, Spring Valley High School in West Virginia. Interesting high school because you've got two other guys that Penn State has offered there and Ohio State commit Doug Nestor and Louisville commit Zach Williamson, whom they just offered uh, a few weeks ago. Will they make the trip? I think that's kind of still up in the air right now, but Penn State has, has, has moved on Williamson. And this is the situation at Louisville not looking tremendous. It's, I think it's an interesting spot for them to try and make a move. Yeah, two of those guys that stand out to me, Theo Johnson, um, you know, buddy of mine who, who's on the camp coaching circuit uh, up in Canada, he saw that Penn State offered Theo Johnson and texted me right away. He was like, he's the guy. He, he's, 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 the, he's the next Canadian guy that's going to be a potential Penn State player. And we know they've had a nice run. They've signed a player out of Ontario, three straight classes. We'll see Jonathan Sutherland get an opportunity to shine. Daniel Joseph, Jesse Lucchetta already there. Uh, but Theo Johnson, to me, he, if, he, if he's playing at an American high school right now, and who knows, he may end up at an American prep school. We don't know what his plan of action is. He, he's probably at a 20 offer guy at this point. Um, most of his offers are kind of restricted to, to schools more you know, closer to the Canadian border. I think Buffalo's offered, Central Michigan, uh, Boston College is one of the Power Five teams that are offered, so is Syracuse. But Penn State in a good spot, I think, among uh, some of the more marquee Power Five programs to get in with Theo Johnson early, and and that would continue a nice run, run at tight end if, if they can eventually bring him on board down the road. And then Wyatt Millam, um, I hope I'm saying that last name right. It's the first time I've said it. Uh, but when you're talking about a 6'7 offensive tackle who's a sophomore, 6'7 is, is – it's hard to be 6'7 in general. When you're 15 years old, that's very difficult to be coordinated when you're 6'7 that young, growing into your frame. And he's someone uh, – just upon a, an initial film review, I can understand now why you know he's got offers from Georgia, Penn State, Ohio State, Louisville, and, and all the likes. You know, he's a guy to get on campus at this stage, m- try to make that early impression, send him back to West Virginia with something to think about. And make sure he's back in Beaver Stadium in 2019. Spring Valley with uh, Division One offers, or excuse me, Division One offensive lineman Riley Locklear is at Tennessee. Of course, Doug Nestor committed to Ohio State. Williamson committed to Louisville in the 2021, and he's going to have offers from everywhere. Um, not going to be a huge weekend in terms of visitors. We we highlighted five. There's going to be a few more, but at the at the same time, with uh, not not running down Iowa, but this is not a marquee game for visitors to check out. I think the Wisconsin game will be a little bit more heavily populated, especially when you take into account where guys are in their seasons and their playoffs and things like that. So um, not going to be a, a, a huge visit weekend, but there will certainly be news to report coming out of that. So uh, I think that probably wraps it up for us. Um, got I actually did do a short one today, about 30, 37 and a half minutes. We always joke, Tyler and I always joke about uh, short uh, episodes and they turn into hour long. So I'm going to let you get out on this one. Thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz. He's Tyler Donahue. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out on Spotify. Check us out on Twitter or probably actually check us out on Lions247.com. I always forget that plug. But thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back with you early next week to wrap up the uh, Iowa game, and and we'll see you then. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.